Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I've been joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Uh, We're right here at McNamara Financial, right down the street in Marshfield. Beautiful day here in Marshfield. We are live this morning. If anyone has questions for us, you can give us a call, 781-837-4900. Tim's manning the phones. And you can also shoot us a text if you are on the go or if you don't want to join us on the air, 781-775-0116. When in the absence of callers, we are always prepared to fill the time with important and exciting information. Um, so we've been talking this morning about the term fiduciary. What is a fiduciary and sort of all things surrounding that. And what we wanted to get into now after the break is, I guess, for lack of a better word, situations in which it's important from, from the client's perspective, it's important to have a, 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 a professional putting your interests ahead of their own. And also from the advisor side, you know, situations where we're, reminded what it means to be a fiduciary. Um, and so again, if anyone has questions for us, 781-837-4900. So the first one that comes to mind, I have like, I, I jotted down like half a dozen, if not more, um, situations that we come across daily, weekly, monthly, whatever, frequently in our business. Um, the first one being analyzing a pension 
that's what I. Was that the first one you? Yeah. Can? Okay. Yeah, yeah, All right. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. This is one that we've talked about on the air before, and I feel like for years I have been working on explaining this so that people understand it. I think I'm. This is going to be the best I've ever done. Okay. So we're recording, right? I, we're recording I definitely, this. Yes. I definitely was rehearsing on the way in this morning. Tape's rolling. So, nice. <laughs> all right. There are pensions are fewer and far between these days, but they are still around, and especially for people that are that are retiring, um, old older people, I guess I should say. Yeah, if you work for a yeah you know, state or government or. And so, most. Maybe not all, but mo or are oftentimes you if you are going to be receiving a pension, um, you will have the option. You might have the option to take it either as the traditional pension, which is a monthly stream of income guaranteed for a period of time. We don't need to get into all those details today. But generally speaking, you have a choice between taking it as a pension, monthly income, or, taking a lump sum as an investment, as an asset, as an amount of money that you would then roll into a rollover IRA and either manage yourself or have an advisor manage for you. And then you would draw from it as you see fit, or you could take it monthly as a, as almost like paying yourself your own little pension. So the whole lump sum versus traditional pension calculation is a very frequent exercise in our business, a lot of the people that we work with are getting ready to retire, getting very serious about retirement. And they come in and they say, I have this pension and they kind of like hand us a booklet or like a stack of a few papers. And they're like, what do I do? <laughs> and it's all this information about, you know, there's lots of numbers on the pages and, you know, all these different options regarding how you can take your pension. The first one might be, here's a, a you know, a big sum of money that you could take, or here's a, you know, amount of money that you could take, you know, single life annuity, joint life annuity, 10 year guarantee. There's all these different options and it can be very confusing for someone. Pop up. Pop-up is another one. A pop-up. Oh. Like if somebody passes away. Oh, like yeah, it pops, yeah, yeah. It pops back up. There's all sorts of different, yeah. yeah. So, or, right, if you're a teacher, it's option A versus option C. Right. Um, the one that we, analyzing the different types of, like, uh, annuity options you can get, which is like the monthly um, income, that's almost like a discussion for another day. But But where where you want to ensure that you're working with a fiduciary is where is in this whole pension versus lump sum calculation. So if you, let's, let's say you have a, a piece of paper that says if you retire at age 65, maybe you're 63 right now. If you retire at age 65, you can either take this sum of money or this amount per month for your life. Let's pretend you're a single person. Let's just make it simple. So the first thing I would do as an advisor and a fiduciary is to do a calculation that helps that client understand which is best for them, okay? But the way that I would do that is I would say, okay, let's assume you took the lump sum and you rolled it into an IRA in your name. What would you have to earn, what would your portfolio, your IRA have to earn in terms of a rate of return annually in order to pay yourself the pension 
to your life expectancy. So if you're going to take the monthly pension and what, what they would call a single life annuity, it's essentially like a social security benefit. Like you would get a pension and it's guaranteed for your life only. Again, we're gonna pretend this is a single person. They're not married. We don't have to worry about a survivor benefit. Do you have, do you have numbers? I don't. I have some numbers. Because I'm guilty of doing too many numbers on the air. So okay. I was trying to not do, because I, I, I've been told that if I do too many numbers, I confuse people, even well, though I love numbers. But, but I think numbers and examples are good. Okay. I, I, you I have think. an example. That's good. Well, I think so too, but yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was going out of my comfort zone a little bit. So the first, so when you, just to back up for a second, when you, um, when a company or a municipality offers you a pension, they are essentially, think of it this way. You could either take the lump sum, you take the money and then you kind of go away from, from, the, from the company. Or if you say, I'll take the pension, I'll take the monthly income. For argument's sake, let's just, for illustrative purposes, that company that you worked for is gonna give your chunk of money to an insurance company and the insurance company is gonna pay you monthly. Let's just, I think, I just think that's an easy way to understand it. Mm -hmm. um, or somebody's managing the pension funds to be tech, you know, technical, but oftentimes it is an insurance company. And so that insurance company, let's, for illustrative purposes, if you're taking the pension, they are guaranteeing you an amount of money for your lifetime. The way that they determine how much they're going to pay you every month for your life is based on your statistical life expectancy. And it's also based on that amount of money, that lump sum amount of money. How much did you put into the pension system over time, you and or, or, or your employer? How much did you put in over time? How many years did you work there? Um, and how old are you? And at what age are you going to start receiving this monthly benefit? And how, much, and how long do I think you're going to live? Meanwhile, uh, of course, the pensions are not unlike individual insurance products, pensions are not underwritten per person. Like they have no idea your health and, and potential longevity. That's just date of birth, male, female. And so the insurance company does their own calculations regarding, all right, how much are we gonna guarantee to pay this person? Because I think they're gonna live to be about this age. Like statistical life expectancies for a 65 year old male is like what, 80, 81. And for a female is probably like 83. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about a less statistically speaking, a 15 to 20 year life expectancy for a 65 year old. And so an insurance company would do a calculation bearing that in mind. So the first thing I would do for a client when, when, we're, when we're talking about, hey, is this pension a good deal or should you take the lump sum? We have lots of conversations, but the one is, is, is a calculation where it's, we can, we can pretend that you pick up that lump sum of money and pretend you're gonna live to that statistical life expectancy. And then we can calculate how much does your money have to earn in order to pay yourself that same amount of money. So we can translate that pension or we can determine if that pension is a good deal or not. Because sometimes we do these calculations. I, I've done lots in my career. Sometimes I'll do that calculation to a, I usually do it to different life expectancies, but I start with the statistical life expectancy. And sometimes I'll do that calculation and I'll say, okay, well, if you were to uh, take that lump sum and invest it on your own, you'd have to earn 1.3% per year on your money in order to pay yourself that same exact amount of money to your life expectancy of let's call it 82. 
sometimes I say, and that's, that's a, that's a low rate of return in my mind. Sometimes I do that calculation and I'll say, okay, you would have to earn a 4.65% per year rate of return on that money in order to pay yourself that same amount for your statistical lifetime. And then that's a pretty high rate of return for a guarantee, I think. So there's a wide range of what would your money have to earn, meaning what is the insurance company or the pension fund assuming that, what are, how long are they assuming you're gonna live and what are they assuming for their own rates of return in, in order to, to determine how much they're gonna pay you. So we, just by doing that calculation, we can say whether or not that pension is a good deal by can translating I, that into a rate of return. Can I give you some numbers that I have sure. from a real example? Yes. So this is one, you know, one that we in the past have analyzed. So, okay. it, was, so it was a real, you know, pension offering and, you know, so real, I won't give any of the, I won't give the dollar amounts. I'll just give, you know, oh, so we did, we did the calculator the, already. Oh, sorry. No, well, the math has already been done. Oh, so, okay. we, so we, uh, you know, we did the math as far as what the various rates of return would be at different life expectancies. Yeah. And so this was this was assuming, you know, you start taking the pension at age 65. Yeah. All right, so you start at 65, you know, it's X number of dollars. If you live to age 70, it's a minus 3%. Mm. All right, so it's actually negative. Right, because, short life expectancy. Right, if you, t if you go with the straight life annuity where they're only paying you for as long as you live, if you only live for five years, you're not even getting the full amount of money that you could have, you know, could have received if you, t if you took the lump sum. Right, so under the heading of pros and cons for right. taking an annuity, yep. uh, for taking a pension, a traditional pension as an, as an annuity or a, a stream of income, pro, you can't outlive it. If you live to 110, that's awesome. You, you got a lot of money from them. Con, if you die prematurely, you lose money. Mm -hmm. There's your negative rate of return. So age seven, so five years, age 70, it's a, about a, it's a minus three. Yeah. If you, if you live to age 75, it was a 1.94% per year return. Okay. All right. If you live to 80, it was just a shade over 4% okay. per year. So 80 was, you know, a little over four. Yeah. If you live to age, so we put in age 83 because that was the statistical. Was this a fem that's probably a female? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was the statistical life expectancy it was 83. So if you live to eight, your your statistical life expectancy, 83, it was a 4.8% okay. uh, per year return. Yeah. Um, so I, my definition, so. I have a couple more. Yeah, okay. Uh, Did you guys kept going? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so 85 uh, was 5.3%. Yeah. And 90 was 5.8%. So, so, I mean, as you can see, the longer you live, you know, the better the quote unquote return. The uh, better the deal. Becomes. Yeah. Um, so that's just from a, just from a numbers point of view. Uh, that's essentially how they work. So here's how you, I would try to translate that for a client. So let's go back to that one where they, she lives to be 80 and it was 4.4. 80, 80 was 4.07. 4.07. So I would say, okay, let's assume you live to 80. How comfortable are we that you could earn a 4.07% per year rate of return on average on your money if we do a rollover? Open-ended question. We, we can feel differently. The client and the advisor can feel very differently about that. It, it ends up being the, you know, you always defer to the client's comfort level. But that's how you would translate that. Like, so for, so let's say she says, I... I, um, I I have this medical condition. I don't think I'm going to live past 75. So you could say, okay, what are the, how comfortable do you feel 
that your portfolio could earn more than one point. So was it one point seven? For age seventy five, it was one point nine four. How almost almost two percent? Do you feel that in a ten year period of time you could earn on average one point nine percent or more on your money, right? And so that's that's sort of how you present it to the client. I generally go. So you have the discussion regarding pros and cons, inability to outlive the stream of income, but also premature death. And generally speaking, no death benefit to your heirs. That's a con for taking a, or, or a reason some people don't take the pension as a stream of income. I generally speaking, go to the, like start by going to the life, doing the life expectancy calculation. And in today's world, if I see something probably greater than 4%, certainly greater than four and a half percent, I'm generally saying the stream of income is a pretty good deal because if you're in a conservatively tilted or moderately conservative or or mo- even moderate risk portfolio, you know, in a moderate risk, yeah, you might out earn a 4% over the long term, probably will, but I but a 4% is pretty good for a guarantee these days when, you know, 30-year treasuries are paying less than 2%, right? And and so 4% in terms of a guarantee is pretty good. But if you have, but if, but then, you know, that's, that's a, if you have longevity in your family and your mom and your grandmother live to be a hundred, um, then that's an even, that's an even better reason to take the stream of income because that's going to translate to an even higher rate of return if right. you live to a long time. So. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, if we talked about, um, to, to kind of compare that to a to an investment portfolio if we use like a moderate uh, allocation as a um, on the other side you know like 60% stocks 40% bonds you know we tell clients you know obviously no guarantee but we think you know somewhere between 5 and 7% yeah. uh, per year is kind of like a rough you know uh, goal for what Target, that for yeah. what that for what that might earn um, and so you know if you compare that to the to the pension numbers we just ran you know, you can see that that the the invest you know taking the lump sum and invest and investing it would more than likely be better in the earlier years, but right. you know if you live longer, the pension eventually will catch up. Right. Uh, if if you you know if you if you live you know beyond life expectancy. Right. Um, and and the whole pension conversation as a stream of income, you know, similar to a conversation regarding an annuity that pays you a monthly stream of income. Do you want? to take your own, how comfortable are you taking investment risk or do you want to pay essentially an insurance company to take your investment risk for you? Some people are just comfortable. I'm just going to pay someone else to take investment risk for me because I'm not comfortable with it. In that case, take the pension yep. as a stream of income, yep. right? Some people are just more comfortable with investment risk. Um, and, and and you know, those people might consider the lump sum. But anyway, this whole, you know, someone, the average client being offered a pension you know, might have this piece of paper and it says, uh, this, you know, my lump sum is $287,000 or they're going to offer me this, you know, income and it's $1,948 a month. Like, you know, they're kind of like, I don't, how do I know? Right. They might kind of have a feel in their life about what that monthly income would do for them, but they have a hard time comparing it to the lump sum of money. Well, I don't know how, you know, so, so the, 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 the high and best use for us at that point in time is helping them figure out if that, monthly stream of income is a good deal. And this is when, if you're a client, you want to make sure you're working with a fiduciary because if you're not, 
then that person on the other side of the table, that financial professional on the other side of the table, if they're not required to put your financial interests ahead of their own, they could recommend, I'm just being devil's advocate here, they could recommend the lump sum and they'll be financially compensated for it because they're going to manage your rollover for you, theoretically speaking, if you're sitting at the table with them, right? And if they're not required to tell you that that pension as a stream of income is in your best interest, that's a little scary, right? I think uh, I think in this case, and this is my you know this is my opinion. You can you can argue otherwise, but when this situation comes up, when I'm talking to someone, I like to show them you know show them the numbers both ways. Yeah. Talk about the you know the. Um, you know, the non, you know, financial uh, differences. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and then thirdly, you know, show them in our, you know, in our planning software, you know, if, if one is a clear winner, you know, we run it both ways, yeah. you, know, you know, show them the monthly income as the pension guaranteed yeah. if they live to, you know, whatever age we decide, you know, we think is reasonable uh, versus taking the lump sum and, and earning, you know, a reasonable rate of return and show them that there's a clear winner yeah. and, you know, sh- you know, go, go over those three different things. And then ultimately let them decide, you yeah. know, which one, which one, you know, which one they're most comfortable yeah, with. Yeah, people um, will just have their different comfort. Some people are just comforted by a guaranteed stream of income, of course. I mean, yeah. it, so, what, you know, one of the other things, um, I guess two, two things, you know, so, you know, the pension, as we mentioned, the pension is guaranteed, which is obviously a good thing, um, as long as the payer is in business, right, which is one consideration. Um, but, uh, you know, a potential downside is that it's, you know, it's not flexible, you know, once 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 it's in gear, it is what it is. You know, it, you can't stop it. You can't you can't accelerate it. Um, yeah. You know, versus taking the lump sum, you know, you have some flexibility as far as you know, if something came up, you know, you can grab some extra money uh, if some kind of an emergency showed up. Whereas the pension can't do that. Yeah. Uh, I guess a potential downside yeah. of that is if you're a spendthrift, uh, you could burn through it quicker than, than having the you know ha- having the pension come in on you know because you can't you can't accelerate it right uh, and so I think it's just you just yeah. need to talk about all those different things and you know they you know the client knows their you know knows their habits and which one yeah. might, might fit best for them I can remember earlier in my career be I I can kind of re- I can remember the first time like I said a little bit earlier that I realized in this specific situation, what it means to be a fiduciary. So, so you know, we disclose our conflicts of interest to our potential, our clients and our potential clients and in writing and, and verbally. And, and one of ours is in this situation, we have a conflict of interest um, in that if we recommend the lump sum, we're, we're potentially going to be receiving compensation for it because we'll, we'll likely be managing the money for you, right? So I can remember meeting a new couple and the, I forget if it was the husband or the wife had a very um, significantly sized pension and we were doing this calculation. And let's say the lump sum was gonna be like a million dollars or more or the, or the pension was gonna be, you know, X thousands a month. And, you know, earlier in my career to meet someone with, you know, and bring on board a million dollars was, 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 was great. You know, that was, um, that, that felt good to, to be bringing on a client like that. And, and, you know, to boot, these people were really nice. And I can remember doing this calculation and it ended up that the pension was a really good deal. And, you know, we actually had a couple of meetings, I think, and, um, we talked about it a lot. And, um, you know, that was like the first time where I was kind of like, this doesn't make sense for you. Like, I, you know, I want to say that the calculation probably ended up that it was on almost a 5%, you know, per year return on to take the pension and um, to life expectancy. And, and they already had some other, you know, maybe they had a f- 
very few other assets, but um, you know, it just, I can remember, you know, how that feels. So like I said, like it, it feels good to give them the right advice. And, you know, I even said to them, like, you know, for, for, for someone who has that conflict of interest that I have a financial incentive to tell you to take the lump sum and for me to tell you not to take the lump sum, that means a lot, right? And, and for a financial professional to say, no, this doesn't make sense. That's pretty powerful. And I can remember how that felt. And it was kind of like, ah, oh, bummer. I would have loved to work with these people, but it didn't, you know, it didn't make sense. And, and it does feel good to, um, to give that advice. Anyway, I don't need to harp on that one. I wanted to go over, um, before we take a break, quick break, cause I do have a few of these that I wanted to talk about. Um, but under, you know, another situation where, where it's important to have or to remember that as an advisor or a fiduciary and, and as a client to be working with, with someone who's putting your interests ahead of, of their own. Um, I think s- s- we are, we've already used that word suitability several times, but, but recommending a suitable portfolio and a suitable r- level of risk. Um, you know, we have, again, under s- disclosing conflicts of interest, which we disclose in our, in our document that we file with the SEC and we give to clients, a conflict of interest for us is recommend is potentially recommending a portfolio that's more aggressive than is suitable. This not that we do this, but I'm saying it's a conflict of interest is we have a if we recommend more aggressive portfolios than we should, theoretically over the long period of time, assets are growing faster or bigger and our compensation increases because our compensation is tied to the dollars of assets under management. So we have an embedded conflict of interest based on how our compensation is structured to recommend aggressive portfolios to, to grow bigger for the client. But that's not, of course, that's not always appropriate. So when you're assessing someone's comfort level with risk and what might be a suitable way to invest their money, of you know, of course you could disclose your conflict of interest, but you know, this, this is why we go through risk tolerance questionnaires and, and try to get um, information from that person about how they would, you know, how they feel, what, what's been their experience in the past with, you know, with risk and with downturns in the markets. And, you know, it's hard now because there haven't been a lot of downturns in the financial markets. We had a little blip at the end of last year, no big stuff. Markets have, you know, recovered and been really strong this year to date. And, um, you know, it's been like a really really good decade for domestic stocks anyway and okay for international stocks and so we haven't had much of a people haven't really been their tolerance for risk hasn't really been tested in the in a decade that's a long time um and so you know under the heading of you know when you're when you're determining a suitable portfolio for someone um it's nice for you to understand if you're an, if you're a client, you should understand the advisor's compensation structure and what their conflicts of interest might be. And and you know, big red flag if you're saying oh, I'm not very comfortable with risk, and I'm a pretty conservative person. I have like 300 grand in CDs at the bank, you know, and and this person's you know recommending a, an all stock portfolio for you, and and you're like, wait, that doesn't sound right, you know. But <laughs> you know, situationally, me. that could that could uh, there there might be a few situations where that's okay, but um, you know, that's that's a conflict of interest that we have. And, but if you're a fiduciary, you're obviously putting the interests of your, of your clients ahead of your own and, and growth of the asset. If it's not an objective for the client you're working with, then it, then putting them in a portfolio where preservation of capital, if, if that's their objective, then putting them in a portfolio where preservation of capital is, is their primary goal, then, then that's, then that's the right thing. Um, 
I feel like I kind of talked in circles on that one. Did that make sense? <laughs> what makes, I was talking about. I was trying to, well, I know what you're talking about. I mean, so it makes sense to me. But the, the yeah. situation where you want to know you're working with a fiduciary is is that is, is when they're when someone's recommending a, a portfolio, a risk based portfolio to you, um, because because advisors that are in the fee based world that we're in have that conflict of interest that the bigger the assets, the more the compensation. Right. So you could so say there's they, yeah, yeah there's an incentive to grow yeah. the money because that translates to you know, higher fees for the advisor, higher compensation yeah. for the advisor, but and more money for the client, but right. situationally not always appropriate. Right, exactly. If someone can't tolerate risk in a shorter period of time, they can't t- tolerate a downturn. I should right. say. Yeah, I mean nobody's gonna nobody's gonna uh, complain in, in an up market, but uh, right. but yeah, in a down market that could be an issue, and you know, yeah, we know that's inevitable. So yeah. All right, I have two. I have two good ones right. after the break. I have two good situations where. Uh, where the where the conflicts of interest come into play and, and being a fiduciary comes into play. After the break, be right back. Good morning. Back to business it is. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And let's do some quick announcements before we get going. Sure. So next Saturday, July 20th, uh, Sharon McNamara will be hosting uh, Sharon McNamara of Boston Connect Real Estate. And she will be broadcasting the show live from her new office uh, at 19 Mattachusett Street in Pembroke. Uh, you said she bought the building? She That they bought a building, yes. Awesome. I think it, I don't know Pembroke that well, but I think it's like right in that little downtown area by where the Stop and Shop is, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah I think that's Mattachusett Street. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So congratulations to Sharon and yeah. good luck with the show next week. Uh, and then the week after that, Saturday, July 27th, uh, it is Retirement Checklist Part Number two, <laughs> part two, part two, uh, with Mike. Uh, By the way, you are correct. That is the location of 19 Mattachusett Street. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank Ma- you. Google Maps. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, or Tim's brain. Or not Tim- sure which I don't one know. that was. It, it, we can thank Google this time. Okay. okay. Not yeah. local knowledge. Okay. No. All right. So next week, live from Boston Connect Real Estate. Yes. To, to congratulate them on their big move. Yes. I think they're having... Realtors move too. One time she sent out a... Oh. Last time they made a move, she sent out a little postcard. Realtors move too. Realtors move too. Really cute. That's cute. Uh, and actually, this time she sent out a really cute invitation that was like a paint chip card. You know how paint chip cards have like the same color in different shades? Yes. Did you notice that the invitation was like a paint chip card? I did. It was know. so I cute. Didn't, I didn't pick up it on that. It was so cute. <laughs> do you have it hanging on the wall? It's really I adorable. do. Yeah, it's yeah. it's nice. It's a combo of uh, blue and gray. Yeah, very nice. Awesome. Uh, actually, what is, what does that what does that say, Tim? As far as the open house, or it says it's a housewarming party. Mm. We've moved a home to call our own. And, that, and that's on July 20th? Correct. Okay. And what were the hours? Uh, open house is 8 to 2, and we are live on WATD 8 to 10 a.m. All right. Thanks, Tim. Perfect. Um, all right. So no callers today, but this would be a good, you know, I was just going to put out one more request for a call. Uh, 781-837-4900. You know, maybe if somebody has had a good experience or a bad experience, you know, with the financial advisor as far as advice. Um, I thought that might be interesting. Yeah. If somebody wanted to call with yeah, one of those. Cool. Yeah, that's um, cool. Okay. Uh, but you said you've got one or two more areas of, you know, potential conflict uh, as far as, you know, advice. Not conflict. Might... Conflict of interest. Conflict, <laughs> conflict <laughs> of interest. We want to talk about conflict. Yeah. Right. Okay. Conflict of um, interest. Right. No. So, I mean, we've been talking this morning about things surrounding what it means to be a fiduciary, hot hot word in the industry. Um, 
and I just thought it would be cool to talk through some situations or some some conversations that we have every day with clients and and where we are reminded that we have to act as fiduciaries. Not that not that we need reminding because you know we do the right thing anyway. But um, we and we talked about some regulatory stuff too. But yeah, so I thought it would be cool to talk about situations. So so an- another and and inevitably in all these situations we have a conflict of interest. But we would. You know, it, it would disclose that, and and um, you know, as long as you disclose it and talk through it, and the and the client understands. One of them, another one of them, is the conversation regarding whether someone pays down debt or accumulates assets. Ah, good. Oftentimes, point. it's both, but and this is age dependent, situation dependent. But generally speaking, the conversation is, you know, you might be sitting across from a client and they have X hundreds of thousands left on their mortgage, um, but they also should be saving, you know, so we wanna focus on paying that down depending on how old they are. Um, what could be any sort of debt really, but you know, mortgage being a very common one. Uh, um, or, and also, you know, another goal is accumulation of assets. Maybe they haven't accumulated very much yet and they're getting to an age where they should have, or, you know, they're, they have to start working hard in that regard. And, and you know, I can think of a, a client situation right now where, um, you know, those are both for, I guess for everyone, almost everyone, those are two primary goals. I want to, you know, to, in order to get ready for retirement, I want to pay down my debt and I want to build some assets so that I can have assets to live off of and so that I can have very little expenses, reduce my debt, eliminate my debt. So we have a conflict of interest when we have right. this conversation with a client, you know, because we, you know, if we, if we said, forget about paying down the debt, I will, you know, all your discretionary income should, should be go, going to build your assets. We have a conflict of interest because we're compensated via a fee on an annual basis based on assets that we have under management. So the larger the dollars we have under management, well, we have a tiered fee schedule where the fee drops when assets get larger, but the, the, our fee increases by dollar, by dollar amount, I mean, uh, the larger the, the assets that we manage for a client are. Um, so we have that embedded conflict of interest. So it's, so, te- you know, again, it's situationally dependent, but oftentimes it makes sense to pay down the debt depending on how old you are, what you've accumulated for assets, how big the debt is, what is the interest rate on the debt, what it, what are what's our optimism or pessimism regarding the financial markets, what's the time horizon. I mean, there's so many variables that go in, but that conversation has embedded conflicts of interest and you better make sure you're working with someone who's putting the, the client's interests ahead of their own financial compensation interests. And because oftentimes, I think, especially for people on the older side, I think it makes sense to pay down the debt. Mortgage professionals will always disagree with me, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much always. Uh, but we have we have some um, we have some interesting conversations with mortgage professionals. They have they have their different opinions. But you know, I I often will say there are often times when I when I will say let's save minimally now or forego savings for the time being. Like let's say they're putting money in their 401k, let's forego additional savings for the time being and focus on eliminating debt. And and for a fiduciary to say that to you means a lot because they have that comp, because a fee-based advisor has that conflict of interest. As does a as does a commission-based advisor, someone receiving a commission for, for uh, you investing in investment products or annuities for that matter, you know, that they have the same conflict of interest. The more you invest, the more they're compensated. So, um, you know, and oftentimes, I guess 
I guess less so these days where interest rates on debts are pretty low, that the conversation isn't as frequent pay down the debt um, for for mortgage, I mean, because because interest rates are pretty low, but still oftentimes it makes sense and you want a fiduciary to tell you that. Well, and, and another part of the conversation is what what are the client's goals? If, they're, yeah. if their number one goal is pay down debt, then then pay down the debt. Then, then you got then you then you, <laughs> right. you have to take that into account. You right. know you can't you can't uh, you know you can't dominate the uh, you know the conversation and the um, you know where where things go. You have to take into the into account what what they want. If that's their right. number one, then then okay, let's you know we have to incorporate that. However, it's not always the right answer. I was speaking sure. To, right. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and you I, need I'm to. Not and you, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you need to explain to them, you know, and educate them, and the, and then it, it might it might make sense to do something else. But I was talking to someone recently who was in their early forties, had a very low interest rate on their mortgage, three point something, three and a quarter, three and a half, had no assets, no assets saved for college and was overpaying the mortgage mm. to try to pay down the mortgage. That was an example of a situation where I said, eh, that interest rate is very low. We're talking, you know, young kids, you have the ability to take advantage of compounding interest over 10 or 15 years before your kids go to college. I don't think this is the right plan for you. And that situation, building assets versus paying down the debt made more sense um, in my opinion anyway. So anyway. But that's a good one. Um, anything else on that? Nope. The, the other, another one I wanted to talk about was traditional investments versus non-traditional investments. So there are some people, and by non-traditional investments, I guess I mean real estate frequently. So there are some people that um, are just com are comfortable investing in real estate. They might have experience investing in real estate. They might just enjoy real estate. Some people just enjoy real estate. They enjoy you know decorating and flipping houses and, and, and because because it's tangible. You know, yeah, it's, I think it's, that. they can touch it. They can feel it. And I think, I think people like yeah, <laughs> they people, just want to touch it. Well, yeah, yeah, figuratively, uh, people like that versus versus an investment. Just not it. Maybe it's not as exciting, right? Because uh, you know you're just kind of looking at it, right? So, uh, uh, you know, as 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 a as a financial advisor, we have a conflict of interest in that if you're investing in traditional investments, we have compensation, and if you're interested in investing in real estate, we would not. And if someone comes to us and says, you know, what do you think? I have. 200 grand from an inheritance, do I put it in the markets in some portfolio or do I go out and put a down payment on a piece of real estate? And if you're a client in that situation, you again, you want to make sure you're working with a fiduciary because if you're not, that person, you know, that person is not required by law to tell you what they really think is right for you. Um, and so you know, the conversations we would have are, well, for, first of all, I, when I have this conversation with someone, you know, I'm not an expert in real estate or I'm not a real estate investor myself. I have my comfort, you know, again, you have to disclose your conflicts of interest. I have my comfort level with traditional investments. I know that world. I don't know the world of investment real estate as well. I know the numbers and and, and I know that, you know, the technicalities and, and some of the tax benefits and things like that. But, um, 
I also think that that world, the world of real estate investing is so different based on the real estate markets you're talking about. Like, you know, if 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 you happen to have a real estate investment in, you know, you bought in um, what, East Boston 30 years ago, you know, you're having a different experience than, than someone who bought in, Plimpton, you know, I, just the real estate markets can be so wide and varied. Not that there's anything wrong with Plimpton. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to compare like a, 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 an area that has seen significant real estate appreciation versus one that maybe has just been normal. Um, I mean, yeah, so, our, our, yeah, our our own personal uh, real estate investments have uh, have not been <laughs> that's not true. been great experiences, and and not that they were not that they were truly investments. I mean, they were our primary they were homes, primary yeah. residences yeah. that we've bought and sold over the years, and I think we've yet to make any money on in real estate in our lifetime. <sighs> Isn't that so sad? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah that's true. The, the time will come, Kirk. No, but, <laughs> but it, I mean, even though we've seen real estate appreciation, you we pe- people forget this all the time. People focus on my home is appreciated so many hundreds of thousands of dollars because I've owned it for so many years, but no one ever adds up what they spend on that house right. in order to, make, to maintain it. Right. Like we've put in windows and siding and paint and landscaping and blow. We have to put in a roof, you know. But anyway, right. yeah, because yeah. when it, yeah when it's your own house, you know, you you put in a bunch of money to make it what you want and things that you know, and that if you add all that up over the years, it's like it eats into the into the return. Right. Anyway, we digress. Yes. But anyway, if you're if you are approaching a financial professional and looking for an opinion on traditional investments, stock bond mutual fund portfolio, that's what I mean by that, versus non-traditional, which I I'll say is real estate. It could be a business venture though too. I could put that under non-traditional. Um, you want to make sure you're working with someone who's giving you not that you could get unbiased advice in that regard, but give. But you want to make sure you're working with a fiduciary that's putting your interests ahead of their own, because otherwise, it's it's you know there's no reason for them to not say don't you know invest the money, or or invest the money. I mean, all right, one more I have on my list. Uh, actually, I have two more, but um, annuities. We've done whole two-hour shows on annuities, and so in the next. 12 minutes. Um, I just wanted to talk about the the conflicts of interest surrounding annuities, I guess, for a minute. The whole theme for today was was, it, was advisors acting as fiduciaries and putting client interests ahead of their own. Again, there's, there's lots of different types of annuities. I think annuities have their place in the world. Um, I think some are much more appropriate some types are much more appropriate than others in terms of fitting into fitting meeting someone's goals and fitting into their portfolio. I think that there are some annuities that are oversold and not necessarily appropriate. Um, I think that that is likely because many of them pay high commissions to the to the financial professionals selling them. Um, I'm trying to be careful with my words here, if you can't tell, because because I do think there are certain annuities that are very appropriate, and and um, but there are some types that are presented as really amazing, and with all these bells and whistles, 
and what's not presented to the client in those situations is the fine print and the long-term analysis and, and the comparison to a traditional investment and what they could do on their own if they didn't purchase this annuity. So the, the, yeah, the, the actual costs mm. and uh, potential you know penalties and and things like that. Yeah, I, I had I have I have a client who prior to working with me um, met with another financial professional. And this is like after we've been working together for a while, he told me this story. And he said, you know, I went to meet with this other investment professional, financial professional, and I presented to him my situation, getting ready to retire, what to do with my rollover. This, you know, this is the financial situation. You know, these people had several pieces of real estate. And, and this client, who's now my client, was looking for options and was looking for someone to say, you know, here's a few things you to think about. And what he got was, here is one annuity product that I'm gonna sell to you. And I think, I unfortunately think that that's pretty common because the financial professionals that are in, that primarily sell annuities, they primarily sell annuities and that's what they're comfortable with. And they and they have, and they're selling annuities that that do this and they know they have knowledge about this and I think that that's their world and he, this particular client was I in this situation I think smart enough to say well what are my other options right and so and then he you know came to meet with me and we and we actually talked about this annuity and I helped him analyze it and and then we talked about because what 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 the general public really needs to know if they're being presented an annuity, which again, I think is, are in some situations suitable for some people, especially people not, comfort not comfortable with risk in the market. What that person really needs to know is, okay, here's this one potential solution that is this annuity and this annuity will perform in this way. First of all, I think there's a lot hidden from that presentation, but they, they should, that should be coupled with, here is another solution in the world of traditional investing and you take the investment risk on your own and here's how this will potentially perform and here the, like there should be a compare and contrast. And I think in the world of, I'm gonna go, you know, I, I met with this person and, and um, they generally speaking, mostly sell annuities. I don't think that there's that compare and contrast often. At least that's what I hear from people that subsequently come in to chat with us about it. Um, but those discussions are really rewarding when we when we meet with someone who has like an annuity proposal and they say, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, annuities are are presented very well and and um, and they're marketed very well. And, I, and people oftentimes come in and they're kind of invigorated by it. And they're like, I have this proposal and this sounds so great. And it's like, this is six or 8% guarantee. And you're just like, okay, wait a second. But, but the like, discussions yeah, and are it's very 30 or 40 pages. Right. But the discussions so once you like dive a little bit deeper and start having the discussions, what's most helpful to that person is comparing and contrasting with with traditional investments. And that could even just mean putting money in a CD at the bank, right? Like they should be able to compare and contrast that and understand the fees involved in both. And that's where things are most most powerful. And then if someone decides to do the annuity, great. As long as they understand you know, all alternatives, the options alternatives, and, alternatives yeah. and also the fine print, which I don't think is, um, I 
I just have my suspicions that it's not often um, the big, the full picture is not often presented in by people selling annuities. But I digress a little bit. But anyway, when so financial professionals working for insurance companies and selling annuity products or registered representatives that are that are selling annuity products through broker dealers, variable annuity products through broker dealers are not held to a fiduciary standard. And I think that clients should know that. And it doesn't, it certainly doesn't mean that, that everyone that has ever sold an annuity isn't doing, isn't acting ethically. That's not what I'm saying. There are, of course, and I know lots of them personally, people that, that have recommended annuities of all different types and, and acted very ethically and, 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 place the client's interest ahead of their own. But I think people should know that that's not, they're not legally held to that standard um, in that world. And, and, I, and I do think that some annuities, unfortunately, are oversold and are not always appropriate for the people that are sold to. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes people find that out when it's a little bit too late mm. or when there's lots of fees and penalties to get out. But um, so that's a, that's a big one that I think that I think you should understand compensation model and um, and who you're working with when you're having those discussions with someone or get a second opinion if you right. don't know. Um, and I guess the last one, we have a few more minutes. Um, I think the last one is rate of withdrawal from a portfolio and consumption of capital. Okay. Okay. So as a fee-based advisor like us, me and Kirk and, and the advisors at McNamara Financial, we have another one of our conflicts of interest is um, is how, how am I going to say this? We, it, we are we are financially our compensation is greater if our clients don't consume their capital. Meaning, like, let's say you're 80 years old, and you could be taking 10 or 15 or 20 percent of the value of your portfolio out annually, and that's probably okay because you're 80 years old and it's your money and you should spend it. Um, but we have a financial incentive to tell you, oh, only withdraw four percent. That way, you're not eating into your capital because preservation of capital of our clients' assets means preservation of our, of our income. Um, or e growth of capital means growth of our income over time as well. It, al it also means growth for the client, right. but, I'm, but I'm focusing on it from, from, an, from a conflict of interest point of view. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think this is another one where you have, to, you have to have conversation or multiple conversations with the client about what are their goals. If they're, you know, sometimes, yeah. sometimes, cli yeah. sometimes clients will come in and say, you know, my goal is to, you know, Preser bounce preserve my capital or, or right. bounce my last check. You know, some, yeah. pe some people will say that some people want to spend, you know, as much of their money as they can while they're alive and, and enjoy it, enjoy the money that they've spent. Right. Other, other people are concerned that, you know, they want to leave an inheritance, you know, for their kids or, you know, or, and right. or they, you know, they don't want to be a burden on their kids if, you know, if they, you know, need care or a nursing home. And so they want to, you know, make sure they still have some money left uh, in their, in their later years. Right. So that, you know, that has to be, you know, part of the conversation. But yeah, I mean, we, you know, we look at what they're taking and we say, okay, you know, it's you know, over the past five years, 10 years, basically your capital has grown or maybe it's shrunk right. if, if you're taking too much. Right. So we need to present that to them and, and make them aware of what's going on. But yeah, I, I, yeah, what you're saying is, you know, we could, we could say, oh, you're, you know, you're taking too much and, and our compensation's going down right. as, a, as a result right. of that. And that, that, and that, that's what I mean. right. that potentially, yeah, people 
I suppose, could be doing that. Um, I mean, it, it, like if you're, I, I hope to God that this doesn't ever happen, but if you're 85 years old and you have no kids uh, and no beneficiaries that you're concerned about financially and your advisor is telling you you can only take 5% of the value of your portfolio out, something doesn't sound right. Something doesn't smell right, right? Interestingly enough, commission-based advisors don't have that conflict of interest. So if you're working with a registered representative who, who received a commission up front for recommending portfolio to you, and now you're 85 years old and you're drawing 10 or 15% of the value of the portfolio out, that uh, advisor in the commission-based world, his compensation might slightly change, but very small ongoing commissions, ongoing compensation in the commission world is relatively minimal. Um, and so they don't have that com the same conflict of interest so. that we do in this situation. Um, so yeah, it just like, it depends hey, on Mr. who you're Client, working Hey, Mr. you're going to run out of money in five or 10 years and they might not, they might not, Depending on your age. They don't have the incentive to, to talk to you about that. Oh, right, right. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting one because yeah. we do have that conflict of interest. We haven't talked about conflicts of interest on the air in a while. We haven't personally. I don't know if I, my dad has. I but, um, You know, like anything, I just think it's good for the general public to, to know these things and not many new clients that we meet walk in asking these questions. Like when was the last time someone walked in and said, what are your conflicts of interest? And, you know, actually I don't know that I've ever had that question except maybe one time I can remember being interviewed by, by someone and she came in with a whole huge list and she was taking all these rigorous notes and that might've been the one situation where, but nobody asked that question because they, maybe they don't, they don't know to ask. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so, you know, circling back to like the beginning of the show where we talked about all this regulation and, and the root of the regulation makes a lot of sense and that, and that regula regulators are trying to do or protect the general public from unethical financial professionals. Unfortunately, um, what happens is you know, there, then then there's more regulations and more things we have to comply with and more disclosure. And so we disclose our conflicts of interest in our form ADV, but who reads it? Like almost no one because I, it's I so doubt many long. People read it. It's so long and hard to understand. But anyway. Well, I hope that show was at least informative, if not the most interesting show we've ever done. I thought that it was, uh, I, we hoped that it would be helpful and informative. And, I, and regardless, it's really, really important stuff for the general public to know. So I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband, Kirk Reed. We're with McNamara Financial. You can find us at McNamaraFinancial.com. Enjoy the beautiful weekend, everybody. Take care.